He scopes out the present, shakes out the past, and keeps an eye out on the future. This is the Racing with Bruno podcast. Now, from Lexington, Kentucky, here's Bruno DiGiulio. Well, it's post-Derby in September. I don't know if that sounds right. Now we go into Kentucky Downs. We'll go into Churchill, follow up into Keeneland, and then looking into Breeders' Cup. I am so confused. But we had a great Derby weekend. And we did our Zooms with all our, our clients, and they really enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun to handicap with everybody on the screen. It was a great experience. And we did well on the track. Uh, I think we had quite a few nice little hits and a lot of first-time starters we came up with. I think we came up with three first-time starters on the weekend that won and one ran second. So I'm very happy for this past weekend for the Derby. I didn't have Authentic, um, but... I'm happy for Michael Barons and my racehorse. He's, Michael Barons has been a good friend of mine since I met him four years ago. Uh, we've owned a couple of horses together. We haven't had much luck, and no, I wasn't on authentic. I should have been. But I'm really happy for them. I think Michael does really works hard to try to give a good product for people, and there was a lot of happy people uh, that owned a small micro share of authentic, and now they can say they won the Kentucky Derby. Fantastic. Let me bring in Ron Flatter. Hey, Ron, did you win the Derby? Won the Oaks. I hit big on the Oaks. Oh, nice. Look at Flatter. I hit the oh, Super Oaks. She was by Daredevil. Uh, yeah. But I like what she did at the Indiana Oaks. I like the look of the race, and I thought, you know something? Sometimes you got to look at the race and say that can translate to better competition. I, look, I got lucky a little bit. Sure, I, I've tried that. I tried that ten times, and nine times it won't work. But a fifteen to one, I'll take that. I hit the superfecta, and I hit the pick four. So I you holy, know. holy schmoly. And, and I, I come to Vegas, you're buying. I guess so. And I gave it all out ahead of time, so I'm not red boarding here. I had it on Twitter, and I had it on my podcast. So it's guys. Uh, that's awesome. And, and and give a quick shout-out to your podcast. Sure. Uh, it's through VSIN, and it's called the Ron Flatter Racing Pod. Committees work day and night to come up with that creative title. And we're, in our, we're wrapping up our third year. We're coming up on our fourth year. It's every Friday, and so we've had a, a cast of thousands last week uh, with the Derby and everything, Bob Baffert and John Sheriffs and... Uh, they were on. By the way, Baffert telling me, you know, I like authentic over a thousand words, and of course, I didn't listen to him. <laughs> nice, nice job, Ron. So, what, did you bet on a, Did you bet on a thousand words? I did. I also had. I mean, I I, I put I put tis the law on top, and I put a uh, thousand words and honor AP underneath, and then you can see this is degenerating quickly. So anyway, that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, the moment thousand words decided to do the rodeo act in the in the paddock there look I, I i did write for v sin that he looked like remember when alex Karras punched the horse in blazing saddles yeah yeah thousand words went down on exactly the same shoulder except he got right back up again the horse in blazing saddles did not but anyway for for anybody who's well, that, that, that you know you know that was fake right yes i know it was just a bit fake no well the thousand words thing was i'm guessing that was real but anyway you, you know what my favorite scene from blazing saddles is the bean scene no 
is when they're going through the desert and they come up to the toll booth. Oh, yeah. And Slim Pickens turns around <laughs> and goes, boys, we're going to need a shitload of dimes. A shitload of dimes. Somebody go back and get a shitload of dimes. <laughs> that was my favorite scene. I'm like, just Slim Pickens was one of the most comedic actors oh, without great. really giving a punchline, just saying something. He was amazing. Rest in peace. But uh, anyway, and and speaking and speaking of my racehorse, mm-hmm. I think they dove in and bought some more horses. Yeah, by the way, I want to know what you're buying at the Phasic Tipton Selected Yearling Sale Day 1 of 2. But yeah, they, they jumped in, and let me just look at my list here. They uh, spent $450,000 with Spendthrift on an Into Mischief Baby. And I'm just looking here. They had another one. Yeah, they spent 300000 on a Pharaoh baby. But nothing compared with uh, what uh, the folks who uh, owned Warfront did. Uh, Joseph Allen spent a million and a half on a Quality Road baby. And by the way, speaking of Warfront, a Warfront baby went for six twenty five. So you had that. You had four yearlings by Into Mischief go for 425000 or more. And a couple by Pharaoh go for 300000 or more. How about you? What were you doing? Um, I looked at one. <laughs> um, I'm gearing up for the uh, for the Keeneland sale, and I wanted to see what the market was going to be like. Now, the market may look like it's wrong, but the top hand is strong. The buy, there was a lot of horses that were RNA and I not saw sold. that oh, right at the very beginning too. Yeah. And and there's reasons why. I went through the whole videos on all those horses, and it was like, no, 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 no. And and maybe sometimes that can be detrimental because you're, you know, but I look for specific things. In fact, I just got done with a blog that I'm going to put out, um, basically what I look for. And it's all about movement. I've had success at Kima. I've had, I've been able to, I, I bought, well, the best one was Miss Locust Point. I bought for, as a short yearling for 17,000. And it was in January of, I want to say 2014, uh, or it might have been even 2015. Now I don't remember the actual year. Um, God, it all runs in together. It mm-hmm. was like, it, Ron, it was 10 degree wind chill factor, right? Yeah. And I'm out there, and I've got a scarf on. I've got my all. I mean, I am bundled up. And I'm driving in, and a really good friend of mine, Nick Zito, calls me and says, Hey, Bruno, how you doing, pal? I want you to, you know, will you do me a favor? Go look at the dialed ins. Tell me what you think. And I said, All right. It's funny because I am heading over to, um, Paramount sales, there is a, and it was 2015, um, there is a yearling by Dialed In out of a first samurai mare who kind of caught my eye on the book. I'm going to look at her. So I get over there to look at her, and again, I said, it's 10-degree wind chill factor. Right. I can barely, you know, I have all my scarf around me. Uh, I got big clothes on. And I'm, this foal comes out. This yearling comes out. And beautiful chestnut. Um, just, and you could tell right away she's got a little something about it. She's got a little attitude. Right. Because I walked over to her 
And I usually put them through a couple of little tests to right. see how they react to people. I want to buy a horse that is people friendly. And I want to buy a horse that remembers what they just went through, what we just did. So I will do little different things. And the first one was, let me see if I can touch her. You let me pat her. And as I reached around her and I was going to like hug her because she was really furry and warm. She stepped back and looked at me like, that's enough, Buster. Hmm. And... I went, okay, I like this. This girl knows what she wants. Ah. So she, she walked for me, and I took a video of her, and I sent her to Rudy Del Judas, who handles all my babies. And he writes me back. She's back to the knees. I looked at my video, and I looked at her walking away. And then she's back at the knees, you know? So I said, all right. I'm not going to argue with Rudy because Rudy has dealt with million-dollar horses. He's made his fortune, you know, buying and selling racehorses with Becky Thomas and then with Bruno DeBert. Okay. All right. I'm going to wait till she gets in the back ring because I know this filly moves really well. So we get in the back ring a little bit later, and she's walking around. I had her vetted out. She was clean. Mm-hmm. It's very important that we bet them out. If you vet them out and you have an issue that you see, you can't see, it might be a deal breaker. Or you see something and what your vet tells you, you're able to answer what that is and then make a decision on what you want to do with it. So I know I can get her between 15 and 20. So I take a video in the ring and I send it to Rudy. Rudy, how about this one? I get a call right away. From him and I know when he calls me right away he likes it he goes oh right. you gotta like that I said it's the same damn horse I, th- I, <laughs> I knew you were gonna I knew you were gonna do that when you started to tell this and I thought okay there's gonna be two sets of optics I had a hunch you were gonna do that I know you too well Bruno to Julio so he starts laughing so I end up buying for 17,000 and I get my partners in and I'm thinking you know she's gonna be okay she's got a big beautiful body to her she's gonna grow into it so, in the meantime, Chad Brown has a really nice two-year-old filly out of the mare who ran a couple of big seconds. Um, and so now we're going, okay, we kind of like this one. So we thought, okay, we're going to prep her. We're going to make her look real pretty, and we're going to send her to the Keeneland yearly sale. And we did a little work on her to, to, to basically just um, – make her a little bit more correct. We mm-hmm. can give her a little correction on the right knee that was a little bit offset. And it was a beautiful job by, by I, I want to say Peterson, uh, Dr. Griggs in, uh, in, in Ocala. And she looked great. I mean, she was perfect. Mm-hmm. She moved to the knees beautifully. Everything was great. As you know, Curlin had the same thing. Before he ever started, um, when when that's why Kenny McPeak bought him for sixty seven thousand. Sure, I knew that, Bruno. <laughs> if only if yeah, you told he, me. yeah. Curlin was had had to have wires and everything to straighten him out, and and he ended up, you know, that's why McPeak bought him for only sixty seven thousand because he had all those profiles that are still on there from 
from having the hardware to straighten out that knee or that, you know. Um, but it worked. And with this Philly, she was beautiful. And she, we have her at Keeneland, and everybody's picking on that knee. Every guy, oh, I see a profile. Well, yeah, we moved it. Oh, it's perfect. Look at the way she walks right through. They don't want her. So I said, you know what? If they don't want her, if they don't got to give me more than 30000 for her, I'll buy her back because I believe in her. Mm-hmm. I bought her back. Sent her back down to Rudy. Rudy bought in a piece. We She ran second first time out. Second time out, she won as easy as could be. Third time out, she won the gin talking stake in big number, fantastic manner. We sold half of her for almost three quarters of a million um, based on that. And later, after she earned another 600000 sold her on top of that for another four or 500000 as a broodmare. So we were able to take a $17,000 horse, treat it right, understand what we had, cosmetically help her, and turn her into a $1.7 million horse. Not bad. So there is ways that you can take – sometimes the little blemish that you see is not the end of the world. Mm -hmm. That little blemish you can fix, but sometimes people want perfection. Uh, I heard from a trainer and, and uh, that had – I'll give you a, a great example. I had a trainer that came to me about – this is about eight years ago. said, help me buy a yearling, Bruno. I don't know what I'm looking at. I need to get horses to help me. So I was looking at a kitten's joy uh, out of Acquired American Mare that the Ramsey were selling. And I walked over with the trainer. I'm not going to mention his name. Um, and – I said, I love this filly. She's got a great body. She already ate for 27. But I think she's clean. She doesn't have any issues. I think she's going to be really nice. And he looks at me, and the filly had a crack in a hoof. Now, as they're yearlings, that doesn't matter. That grows out. It's not like having a crack in a hoof on a, on a racehorse you want to run next week. Right. Right? You just take your shoes off. You let them grow. On in the field, that foot grows back. You know, and he's staring at that foot. And he's staring at that foot. And he's staring at that foot. And I said, it's yours if you want. I can make a deal right now for you. I was trying to help the guy. No, I can't do that with that foot. I said, screw you. I'm walked over. I made the deal with Ramsey for 25. I bought the Philly. She, we took her to the two-year-old in training sales. She previewed well. We sold her for $125,000. We bought her for twenty-five, and she ended up being good one place for George Gregorian. Uh, her name was Famous Alice and ran for Tom Proctor. She was great one place. So she was worth now three times as much as she was when we sold her for one twenty-five, and she was worth exponentially 100 times more than the $25,000 we mm. paid for her. So in other words, it's like buying a house. Sometimes you want that perfect house, and sometimes you pay less for a fixer-upper that can you can that you can make worth more by fixer-upping, right? Well, it's it's more or less what you can afford. If you can only afford to go buy twenty to thirty thousand dollar horses, what you have to demand is less pedigree and more 
individual. There's a, there's, it seems like there's a pecking order that in book one, the vet report is out the window. However, pedigree is up top and individual is second. I have a completely different view of it because mm-hmm. I know what works on the racetrack. Individuals. Individual, individual, individual. It's like in housing. If you're going to buy a house, location, location, mm-hmm. location. And in this case, when you're looking at a horse, you have to have the individual that goes with a pedigree. I'll give you a great example. I had a novice tell me, well, you know, that horse is really well-bred. Why would it go for 25000 Look at the pedigree. I said, it had major issues and bad confirmation. Well, doesn't the pedigree take care of that? No. I had another horse player remain nameless. Bacoma, the nice horse for George yeah. Weaver, who hasn't been seen since winning the Met Mile, and for reasons, is built very long up front. He's offset, and you could see the way his joints rotate. And when joints rotate, that is pressure on ankles, pressures on the, the, the all the bones that are in the knee, um, everything. Tendons, ligaments, they don't last. They just don't last. And the handicapper said, well, he'll outgrow that, right? No. Mm. It doesn't have no. How do you... Uh, it, it, and it, sometimes horse players don't understand that horses are born with those legs and they'll run with those legs no matter what. Now, here's a really interesting part about racehorses, Ron, and I love this about racehorses. I can see a horse that has flaws, and we call them offset, meaning their joints rotate when they move to get in the right position. Horses have to put their feet down correctly and instinctively and for survival instincts. Their brain allows them, no matter how crooked they are, to put their feet down and be able to run at full speed in one to two strides and move correctly. Hmm. However, that particular effort is exhausting to them to focus on hitting that ground correctly. So when you have a horse that's that doesn't have the most correct confirmation. It takes a lot for them to go over a distance of ground with that particular handicap. So you can be fast, but you have limitations. When you do not have the ability to maintain your stride integrity over a distance of ground, you will tire. I'll give you an example. ADHD individuals, people that are afflicted by the attention deficit disorder, it takes them so much focus on being able to narrow their vision, narrow their thoughts, narrow their ability to focus on one uh, one chore that it does exhaust them. 
Same thing with racehorses. That's why if you're built incorrectly and if you have rotation in those joints and you have to work really hard at putting your legs down right, number one, you don't last, and number two, you can't go that far. Any horse that wins at a mile and a quarter in a grade one is usually a well-conformed animal. So when I'm looking at horses when they train, I'm watching how they move behind, I'm watching the way they push off, and I'm watching the way they, they move up front. All of that has to be put together. So to be able to, to, to really assess how that horse can have can can live in higher class of horses. So the cheaper the horses, mm-hmm. the more effort you know the more the more they have conformational issues or problems or uh, things that keeps them from being at their 100% and that's why they're cheaper some horses don't try they can be completely conformed not a problem why they don't try hmm. they just go around the track uh, you know we have people like that so <laughs> yes. when i see a horse that maybe has a hind end issue like an OCD, which is a bone growth issue as a baby. That could affect them as they get older. And if you can't use all of your power from behind to push off, you can't accelerate because your front end is only there to stabilize your hind end pushing forward. So I, when I look at horses, I look at them from the back to the front. Hmm. And the way that they, you know, they would push themselves. Now, if they're incorrect up front, but I need to see also how they walk through their knees. Because if they walk through their knees, Miss Locust Point walked through the knees beautifully. And I love the way she went through her knees. I bought another horse named uh, Apollo's Vision Philly that we we bought for eight thousand. I bought it eight thousand at the OBS June sale in twenty fourteen, and we Gary Golong and I won like two hundred thousand, and then she got claimed for thirty two because she was crooked, but she traveled through it okay. And mm-hmm. as long as they travel through, you got something there. But she was limited; she can only go six furlongs. So. Understanding all of that and when you go look at horses, you can look at all the pedigrees you want. But if that horse isn't built right to move the way it's supposed to move at a distance of ground and and being able to focus mentally to do it, they're not going to do it. They can't. So it's it's a fascinating way of looking at horses. Mm. I do it my way. And like I said, I look for individuals. If you get individuals, you got chance to get a runner. And and obviously, for individuals with less pedigree, you pay less money. Yeah. By the way, speaking of less money, we know about how Sacatoga Stable is a lower budget operation, and tis the law was not an expensive horse. So the question now is, what they bought today with hip number one thirty five for three hundred thousand dollars. They bought a tis now. They bought a tis now out of an eternal grace, out of eternal grace, I should say. And so that's a little higher than their normal budget, right? 
Yeah, I, I think that's, you know, I mean, I looked at the horse. The, the horse is a really nice looking horse. I have a video of it. Um, nice mover, nice looker. Um, would I spend 300 on a Tiz now? No. Hmm. Unless he's paved in gold. That's <laughs> just my opinion. But also, I don't have $300,000 to spend on a baby. I'd rather buy 10 $30,000 horses. Because I know I'll get two good ones out of that. You saw Kenny McPeak bought a curling for three seventy-five, right? Yeah. A lot of these guys have all this money behind them. They can do what they want. They can buy all the horses they want. You know, we have to sit there. You know, we have to sit there and go to the nickel and dime store. Yeah. Are they looking more? At oh yeah the breeding yeah. than they, they are the team. confirmation all these guys have a team and the team gives them horses to look for and then Kenny goes around and Kenny does a good job he you know and he buys um, he buys everything that he likes he buys what he wants to train see that's the other part hanging out with Rudy Del Judas he taught me a few times he looked at me he goes Bruno I love the body I see what you like but don't make me train that horse. <laughs> You know, you see the way he puts that foot down on the left. Don't make me go around the turn with that horse. I remember that. Ah. I remember exactly what that horse was doing. So now when I watch, I watch how the feet are easily put on the ground. Just like us. Some of us walk on our heels. Some of us walk on our toes. Some of us point the left foot left and do the hokey pokey, you know, when we walk. Um, you know, horses are all different. And understanding how they're built. Now, then there comes the curveball. Blacksmiths are so good at these sales that they can alter a foot where, to the general eye, it looks like they're moving good through it. And you take them home, and three weeks later, the horse is completely offset. And they might drop a heel on a horse. And they drop the heel down, which is basically raises the front part of the foot, makes the leg look angled different. And it may not show you that there's certain issues in the way the horse is built when you have a regular foot. So you you have to know. There's quite a few that I've seen that I watched them walk and I went, no. Uh-uh. Walking on the outside of his foot. That's adjusted. Hmm. So it's not it's not just walking in, picking up a book, liking the pedigree and and, and, and I'll give you a great I'll give you another one more story. There was a mineshaft Billy I liked about two, three years ago as a yearling. As uh at, at the January sale, short yearling. And I just loved her body. She was pretty, she was gray, she moved she moved fine. But something bothered me. And I said to my vet, I said, please check the, please check the x-rays. Tell me what you see. I didn't tell him what I was looking at. I was looking at the left front. The left front was bugging me. Well, he calls me back and he says, you know, she's okay. She's got everything fine. The only thing I saw She's got some vascular channels that are developing in the left ankle. 
write it into the set point. Now, when a horse starts developing vascular vascular channels, that means that a blood source, a source of blood flow is developing in that area to try to uh, heal possible trauma. See, Joe knows. He absolutely knows. Vouching for it. Yeah. Anyway, so um, it was before you were around, buddy. You weren't around yet. Um, so answered my question about he always has to make an appearance, doesn't he, Ron? I enjoy always. those. Yeah. Joe, sit down and let Bob finish doing the podcast. <laughs> he understood um, every word. So, um, by giving me that information, I was able to go back and watch her, and I can see there was something going on in that ankle. And it possibly was because it was shod different. And if she's walking as a yearling up and down maybe 30 times a day, and it's already inflaming that ankle, what's going to happen when, she, when she's going to be on the racetrack? I passed. Because that was a working, that was seeing something, not knowing what it is, not letting my ego get in the way, and talking to my vet, figuring out what what he saw, and then putting it together and realizing what was I, I was seeing. And obviously, if I would have bought her, she never would have made it to the races. I think she ran three times. That was it. So little things like that, and I and I my my relationship with my vet I cherish because he can teach me things that I don't understand or I don't see. Uh, for example, if I think a horse is back at the knee, I bought a, a horse that um, I, uh, in, and he walked really weird on the left front, and something was bug, bugging me. I called him. I said, "Check the X-rays on the horse." He goes, "She's clean." I said, "Is he back on the left knee? Is he back at the knee?" He goes, no, he's actually perfect in the left knee. I said, okay. So I went back and I picked up the left foot. And picking up the left foot, I realized that it was a homebred and the owner was the blacksmith. He was a right-handed blacksmith and he couldn't do diddly squat with his left hand and completely butcher the left foot. The left foot was caught at about a 45-degree angle, making it look like he was offset in that left leg. And he wasn't. Huh. Somebody, I thought I was going to get that horse for four or five thousand, and he's going to Jason Barkley next. But um, I ended up getting him for nine because somebody in the back ring saw the same thing. They saw that and they thought they were going to steal him. He was an Indiana bred. So little things like that when you're going to the sales really help you. And my experience from watching horses move on the track is absolutely invaluable. So I'm looking forward to it. I'm going to put some people together. Anybody you're interested out there? If you enjoyed this conversation, I'd love to talk to you more about it. Give me a shout. You know my number, or you can uh, write me at bethejulia.aol.com. You too, Ron. Uh, I've got. I've, I've written the email address down. Actually, I already had the email address, but, you know, I'm paying attention. Right. Hey, by the way, don't we have some news from Congress about racing? We do. Wednesday action, and this is routine in Congress, a House committee, a powerful House committee, Push through 38 bills today for the floor to take up as a whole 
and try to get passed before Election Day. One of those bills, the Horse Racing Integrity and Safety Act, passed by a vote of 46 to 5 in committee today. This is the bill that was sponsored, of course, uh, originally, and it was sitting around and languishing for a year and a half, uh, by Paul Tonko, the Democrat from New York, co-sponsored by Kentucky Republican Andy Barr. And the reason there's been so much new momentum is because a bipartisan group in the Senate, led by Majority Leader Mitch McConnell and also signed on to by Democrats Kirsten Gillibrand and Dianne Feinstein, they have their own version of the same bill. There are minor differences between them, so they're going to look to push this through. Bruno, I would suggest that in the next couple weeks, this bill is going to be passed, and it will become law, and then it will be taking effect, and I've read both versions of the bill, it would take effect January 1st, 2021. And the upshot of it is that there will be an independent national commission formed to oversee drug and medication rules, to enhance racetrack safety, and to enforce these new rules. Now, here's the interesting thing, Bruno. The new rules are not spelled out in this legislation. It's going to be up to the <laughs> national commission to do so. Oh, that's the catch, isn't it? Yeah. But anyway, that's what the Energy and Commerce Committee did, and so the fact is, this bill sat around for a year and a half, and it's yeah. on its way to becoming but, law. But hey, Ron, Ron, do you like games? <laughs> do I like games? Yeah, yeah I hope you're, you you're like going to take me. I hope you're going to take, like, me, you know, you're gonna take me away from Washington. Or, do you play fantasy football? Used to. I used to thirty years ago, and then I. This was actually forty years ago. Bruno, the worst thing happened to me playing fantasy football. I was made the commissioner of our league. That turned me off of fantasy football the rest of my life for all the bickering and moaning that happened in our group. <laughs> but, no, we got something good. This is fun stuff, okay? Have you heard of Stable Duel? I have heard of Stable Duel. Yeah, I don't know a lot about it, though. Let's go find Leah England, and let's talk to her about Stable Duel. Leah is the one to talk to about this new game that's out there. Leah, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much. Glad to be on it. So tell us about Stable Duel. Tell us about what you do. And how can horse players benefit from Stable Duel? So Stable Duel is just a game for horse racing where you select 10 horses to create a stable and then you get to compete against other players. You pick horses from one racetrack on one specific day, say, for example, um, a Saturday at Keeneland. Uh, you build your stable within the bankroll given to you, and the horse values are based on the morning line odds. You select one horse per race, or you can select multiple horses in one race. It's really all up to your own tactics, and whenever you play the game a little bit, you'll see that there is certain techniques that you can use to benefit yourself and gain the most points. So once you've selected your stable, the game locks at first post. Uh, you just have to make sure that you have all 10 horses selected and submitted or uh, you get your money back and you won't be able to play. And you also need to watch out. Sometimes the horses can scratch and you'll need to go back and replace a horse uh, with, some, with some other one. Um, then once the first race goes off, each of your horse receives points for those finishing positions. And then obviously winner will give you the most points and then second and then third and so forth. And then you also get points based on if they win by how many lengths or a head or a neck and from there. Uh, so it's really pretty simple and all you have to do is, but we don't have a website version yet. Right now we've only got the app going on and it's really, it's a lot of fun. So how horse players can benefit from it is 
you know, you're playing that pick five, you're playing that pick four, and then you're out in that first leg. really sucks, doesn't it? Um, but with this one, you cannot do so well in one race and still do well in other races. That pushes you up to where you can still make money at the end of the day. So it's really exciting. It's a different way to play the game. And it's great. We're even doing um, we're doing a thing right now with um, the third-word aftercare. Um, we're doing a play race adopt is really what we're calling the campaign. And we're trying to bring raise money for two different third-word organizations. So the third-word aftercare alliance and the retired race force project. One of our missions is always going to give back to the industry. So what better way to do that than give back to what makes our industry run the animals themselves. So we previously have done some stuff with aftercare, but we thought now that the app is launched um, to really do something. So once a week, we are doing a contest for all the proceeds. It's each Sunday. We'll see the game, and you'll see it on the app. And all the proceeds go to aftercare completely. And we're also doing the photo contest over social media. We're in- inviting off-the-track third-word owners to share something really cool about their horses uh, with the hashtag PlayRaceAdopt. And we're going to pick two winners each week, and each one gets a prize pack, which includes, like, saddle pads, riding clothing, and just a bunch of stuff from these different organizations. What I do um, is I'm the marketing coordinator. So, really, we've got a really small team. There's just about seven or eight of us. And... I shuffle up with the marketing, I do social media, I go to different tracks, I do graphics, I help reach out and get partnerships, and we just launched uh, last month, and we're doing pretty great already, so it's really exciting. So, Leah, tell me, is if you can play fantasy football, draft, and then in a league, you can play stable duel, correct? Yes, it's a game, it's not exactly, it's not fantasy, but it is a a con- it's a contest of skill. But it that's does really have similar with the bankroll. Yeah. That's really interesting. What kind of uh, response have you had so far? Mostly we've had really positive responses. The only people who have had anything negative to say is if there's been a few glitches, which always happens, you know, when you first start something technological. But all the negative responses have been about technology. So that we've had an overwhelming positive response when it comes to the game itself and how it's played. So a lot of people were really loving it. They're competing with their friends. You're able to, you know, talk about to each other about it on Twitter, compete. There's side bets going on. Well, I get higher than you, then, you know, you have to do this and so and such. And it's really a lot of fun. It sounds like a lot of fun. I know I have the app. I downloaded it and I started to goof around with it. Is there any restrictions for players across the country? There is. There's five states, I cannot name all of them to you, that are not allowed to play uh, just based on state regulations. But a majority of the states are allowed to. And we have um, a little under 30 tracks that we are uh, have agreements with, content agreements, that we're able to play at theirs. So coming soon, we should have a lot more. Uh, we've got Keeneland. We're working on having New York tracks back. Uh, we did have one there. There was a tiny little glitch with that, but that should hopefully be back soon. We've got all of the strong group tracks. So, really, if there's a track you want, we practically got it. How did you get involved with Staple Duel? They actually reached out to me. Um, I bought. They also we also have merchandise that we sell, and one of the shirts says um, "Size doesn't matter, but links do." And I thought it was hilarious. So I bought a shirt. 
And I posted a picture of me on Twitter wearing a shirt, and it got a lot of positive feedback, a lot of people replying to it, and the stable noticed. Um, they reached out to me then, and they were like, listen, you look like someone who would love to have part of the team. If you would just, you know, play back, and once we start to grow, we'd love to add you to the team. So I've been waiting. I had a few meetings with them. And then once they were about to launch, they hit me up again and asked me to join the team with them. And so far, I've been loving it. It's been great. The whole team is awesome. We have everyone from different backgrounds, from somebody who left Wall Street, who's opened a bunch of different companies himself, who loves horse racing, a lawyer from New York who also just loves horse racing, a previous bloodstock agent, um, we used to work for Team Valor. So we've got a bunch of different types of people, but all love horse racing uh, that I work with. So it's, it's great. And you've been in horse racing for quite some time. Can you tell us a little bit about what you've done? I have done a little bit of everything. I got into horse racing. Oh, I've always loved horses growing up. My grandfather um, had horses, got me my own when I was about six or seven years old. So I've always had a great love for horses. But it wasn't until I'll give a shout out to one of my previous professors who's not passed away, but Timothy Katz, he was a huge motivator in getting me into horse racing and telling me that I can make a career out of it. So he got me to the racetrack. I loved it. And I have most back. I started out at the Kentucky Derby Museum. I've worked anywhere from Shadwell as a groom, the groom at, and uh, at TaylorMade for the sales. And I've worked from media and broadcasting. So I worked for NBC Sports still. I do that part-time. I've worked for Fox Sports, the New York Racing Association, and doing media and content for them and working as a production assistant, stage manager, and I've also worked for XCTV as a spotter for their horses, as oh, in the workouts in the morning, as well as doing interviews for them. So really yes. about any software industry, I've experienced it just a little bit. The XCTV experience must have been fantastic being at the track, getting to see all the great horses down in Florida. And um, Tell me a little bit about that. Um, uh, working with with horsemen and working with uh, with uh, the cameraman, uh, did you see racing from a different viewpoint doing that? Oh, definitely. The backside is very different from what they present on TV to you. Um, but I've seen that from before. I get. I also mentioned I worked as a hot walker. I actually lived in a barn. That was actually my first ever horse racing experience. So coming into XPTV, I knew exactly what to experience there. But it's not glamorous. Uh, they show you on TV everything's glamorous and pretty, and the owners are all dressed up for race day, and you're betting, and you're having a lot of fun, you're having drinks. But there's a lot of hard work and grit that goes in the horse racing industry. The trainers, the grooms, the assistant trainers, the foremen, the hot walkers, they're all there at 4, 4.30 every morning. They start work depending on each track, you know, 5, 5.30. They go all the way until tracks are closed. Once the training class tracks are closed, you know, they have to clean up the barns, have to get the horses ready, they have to feed water, and they go to the races for that day, they do night, uh, then they do afternoon feed, they have um, night water, and then they only get off dark days, which is unusual uh, compared to the rest of the world who usually get the weekends off. So you generally, um, depending on the track, but I'll speak for New York Racing and Gulfstream, it's really only Monday and Tuesday. And that's only, they only get off of that during the actual day. They still have to show up every morning. I know when I worked at the Hot Walker at Saratoga, I didn't get a single day off of the Hot Walker. 
because these horses need care and attention every single day. I can totally understand. I dealing with my 11 month old husky. It, it's it's a routine. Every day he gets his bath. Every day he has to. He, you know, he's a bit of a pain in the butt as far as just uh, uh, trying to get him to eat what I want him to eat. He wants to eat people food. Mm-hmm. He's not a dummy. So I'm sure horses are the same way. And uh, that that routine can sometimes be a bit of monotonous for us, but it really helps them. So uh, having it now, really been now on, on the other side, uh, you know, you've been on the other side with the horses and now with Stable Duel. Uh, what are some of the things about this game that you think uh, we can take and even improve on as far as something like Stable Duel? Are there other companies that are coming out with this, or are you right now the only one? Right now with Stable Duel, we're the only one who has our exact game plan. There's other things that are, I guess, kind of similar to us, but we're still different. I believe that we are of the better quality right now just because we're at the switch where we put in we've invested a lot of money we've got a lot of people in the horse industry backing us to make this product as best as it can be and uh we're going to start marketing a lot more uh, here within the next month to try to get as many newcomers and new fans as possible and really what's different from us is that i think one of our biggest goals is not to just benefit the company, but we want to benefit horse racing. Our big, one of our biggest goals is to bring in new horse racing fans uh, so that we can not only make us better, um, but as well make the racing industry better. Because as we know, it's um, gotten smaller and smaller, and it's been harder to compete in bigger sports. So, Leah, if somebody wanted to go in and uh, get a hold of uh, somebody at Stable Duel and and join and play this weekend? How do they do it? So if you want to get a hold of anybody, you can reach out to us at support at com. You can reach out to us on Twitter. We're very active. We check all the time our DMs. But the play is quite easy. Uh, you just go go to the app store, look up Stableable, download the app. You deposit some funds. Uh, right now we're only doing uh, bank transfers. So within the next couple of weeks, we're looking at adding credit cards. It's all just, We've been wanting to do this for a while. It's just waiting for the app developers to um, be able to do the updates, which take longer than you would expected. So that's going to come along. You'll be able to do that. And then you just go into the game, uh, choose which one you want, and there's different entry levels. Uh, this weekend, I believe we have a few different options. So you can find exactly what our schedule is on our website at stableable.com. We've also got interviews on there, uh, different fun things that you can find to help you enjoy the game. But, and exactly, there's even tutorials from other handicappers on, so you get in there and you don't know what technique to use. Uh, we have a handicapper on there who um, gives his perspective on how to do it. So it makes it a little less intimidating. But all you do to pick your game, it varies. It's going to think from $5 to $50 entry fees with different guaranteed pool sizes. You select your 10 horses. They don't have to all be from different races. You can select horses from two horses from one race if you want. If you don't know what to do in one race, you can skip it. And then you submit your stable, and then you get to watch and play um, all day long and have a whole day full of entertainment uh, instead of just losing that first play. You know, this sounds like a lot of fun. I think a lot of players uh, would jump at the opportunity to, to, to play this weekend. I'm hoping that they'll come in and uh, and they can uh, follow your instructions and uh, – 
I have to ask you this because we ask this all of our guests. You are a handicapper. I know that. Are you kidding me? <laughs> okay, I, I know, I know. I'm just like easing into this. Okay, people always want to know about what are some of the angles that other handicappers use. What are some of the angles that Leah likes to use? As a handicapper or playing the game stable? No, just betting money. <laughs> playing the real just betting game. Betting money? Yeah, when you're the at real the window, game, um, handicapping. Okay, so handicapping-wise, different tracks, different angles. So, for instance, whenever you first come up to Belmont, Saratoga, after coming up from Gulfstream, you know that um, there is Palm Beach Downs is, well, Palm Beach Downs, Palm Beach Downs, uh, but where Clement and all them train out there, it's a lot deeper than it is at regular tracks. So when they come from about two hours out, even in Gulfstream, I'm going to be at betting those horses more heavily. Um, and I'm going to go along with those workouts better than I am, let's say, horses coming from when they're training at Gulfstream where the track isn't quite as deep. So that's one angle I look at. Another angle, I, I don't bet every race. I won't. I Unless, I mean, I'll look at every race, especially if I'm doing a pick five or pick six, but the the pot has to be big enough to entice me to do so. But my biggest bet I like to do, which some people give me a lot of crap for it, is I would rather do a win show bet or an exact bet on two horses that I really like or try. Um, really box exactas and one place win show bets are my gold. And I never bet favorites. I always do long shots. I generally prefer to look at the horse in the paddock beforehand. And if I'm doing pick fives or pick fours, I try to get on XBTV and watch the workouts uh, so I can see how the horse looks. I think that's very important, especially during claiming races, because, you know, they go between hands, between different trainers, different techniques. You never know how a horse is quite going to look. And so XBTV and workouts are very important for me uh, when I'm really going deep into it. Or, like I said, if I'm just doing that one single race, if I can just get a quick look at them in the paddock beforehand and see if well, exactly what type of body type they are. I prefer always paddock picks because um, I like to see if they look like a sprinter, especially maiden races. I love maiden races when I can look at them in the paddock because you can see if they look like a sprinter, if they look like a distance, if they look like a turf horse, if they look like they should be on dirt instead. So those are really my angles. I also, um, I'm not a big buyer's fan. I don't pay attention to those numbers. I know a lot of people worship them, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But I like to look at fractions, and I like time formula figures a little bit better when you look at their fractions off the DRS. Um, I think that's more helpful for me because I like to see how a race plays out. And, you know, each race, depending on which horses, are going to play out differently. So I like to set up how the race looks first, and then I put my horses in and see who I think is going to be the winner. Well, we thank you for taking the time out and even talking to us a little bit about your handicapping skills and giving us an idea of what you look for. Um, you definitely have a very good eye. You you worked uh, at one of the toughest uh, training centers, Palmetto's, uh, when with the wind and the rain and and sometimes the heat and the sun and uh, and you guys do it did a great job when you were working for XBTV and they do a fantastic job and. Um, always, uh, always great to see them, um, trying to get all the horses for the handicappers to take a look at them. 
uh, which it, that is another discussion in itself because I know sometimes it's not that easy uh, having done it for a oh, long time. Yeah, I mean, as you know, it's very difficult, um, especially when some trainers aren't always going to tell you exactly when their good horses are kind of come out. You know, they like training themselves and some of the assistants like they like to bet themselves. You know that. And yeah. so they like to hide those gems sometimes. And so you just have to have a sharp eye, really, and you have to continually watch. You can't take your eyes off the track. Uh, you've got to memorize the style of tells, mm-hmm. memorize horse markings uh, so that you can know where to get the bigger name horses. But I think it's just important to get almost every horse because I think workouts are especially important in these lower uh, people, lower purses. Uh, because people don't quite pay as much attention to them, I think, and that's when the workouts are coming most important because those horses, uh, they're not quite as consistent. So a workout can mean uh, so much in betting. Absolutely. But I, I do totally have to agree. Give, yeah, I totally agree yeah, with you. And I have that. to give a big shout-out to the XBTV team as well because they are awesome. As you know, Chris, Leslie, all of them up there. There's the West Coast side as well. Everyone works really hard and does their best to try to get as much content as possible. No, they all do a fantastic job. They uh, mm-hmm. they really they really fill in a void and promote the game, and they need to be commended and and given a a nice pat on the back. And uh, hopefully, they can even grow further uh, with their um, with their plan with all these workouts. Leah, thank you so much for coming on, taking a little bit of your time this afternoon, and talking to us about Stable Duel. You can go to StableDuel.com. And sign up and play this weekend. And you can always reach Leah on Twitter at Leah England zero. I'm sorry, Leah England eight uh, is my Twitter and Instagram handle. Uh, you guys can find me there. I'm more than happy to help. And then, like I said, download the app. We don't exactly have the website yet for you to download from, but we will be having that soon. You'll be able to play on. But right now, you can only play on the app. But I hope you guys do, and I hope you enjoy it. And thank you so much for having me on. I've always loved talking to you for usual. Well, we enjoyed having you on, and uh, uh, let's uh, let's have some fun this weekend. Let's get a game going. That's right. <laughs> All right. Have a great day. Leah England from StableDuel, yeah. StableDuel.com. Check it out. It's fun. It's a great game for you to get involved with, especially if maybe you uh, are out of a pick four and you want to jump in and play. Uh, they're there for you, StableDuel.com. Well, I want to thank Leah England for coming on board. I want to thank my buddy, Ron Flatter. I thought you were talking about Joe. And and, and listen, I kind of hesitated a little bit because I'm still spinning from the comment that you were playing fantasy football draft 40 years ago. Yeah. Yeah, 1980. Oh, I was going to say, did you draft Jim Brown? (laughs) Jim Plunkett. Okay. But anyway, Ron Flatter is always a great addition to our podcast. Hey, Ron, I hear the horses coming. Yeah. Hey, buddy, play Stable Duel this weekend. See you soon. Get more from Bruno by going to RacingWithBruno.com. This has been the Racing with Bruno podcast.